0: So I was putting together a little some slides last night um, about things you didn't know there were words for, like those little plastic or metal things on the end of your shoestrings, those are called. Aglets, anybody who had kids that watched Phineas and Ferb know what an aglet is. Um, An interrobang, do you know what an interrobang is? That's when you enter, end a sentence with an exclamation point and a question mark. But I also learned that... um, like whenever you're reading a cartoon in the newspaper and the person says something bad and they fill that thing up with like exclamation points. And symbols, that's actually called a Grawlix. Don't you love that? So I was talking about this. Oh, wait a minute, my favorite. Um, The phloem bundles, phloem bundles? There's those nasty little strings when you peel a banana and nobody in their right mind eats them. You know, you take those off every time. Please don't tell me you just eat a banana like a barbarian and you don't peel those little things off of there. Yeah, those have a name. Um, but what I learned was, I was talking to my, uh, my daughter last night and she was like, well, dad, you know, there, are, there aren't just things that have words you didn't know. There are actions that have words. And she said, um, my favorite action word is defenestration. Does anybody know what that is? Throw somebody out the window. Yeah, throw something or somebody out the window. Which, if you did that and you were charged with a crime, it's much better to say you were charged with defenestration. Um, Ultra-crepidarian. Ultra-crepidarian, someone who gives opinion beyond one's area of expertise. Also known as Facebook. Yeah. um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I came across a word this week that... um, that I realized applied to a phrase that I had known since uh, 1996, 1997, that my preaching professor used to repeat over and over again. Um, I realized that I, I, I knew this, but I didn't know there was a word before, and it's just a very simple word that you maybe heard before, indeterminacy. Indeterminacy. You know what indeterminacy means? It's the st- state or, of being indeterminate. Thank you, yes. Uh, Something that is not definitely or precisely determined. Something that is not known in advance. Something that you enter into and you're not 100% positive what the end or result will be. And I was reading a book about the Holy Spirit and he used this word about preaching in the Holy Spirit and he said there needs to be an element of indeterminacy and it hit me. This is exactly what my preaching professor used to say. He used to have this saying, um, it ain't a sermon till you preach it. (laughs) It ain't a sermon till you preach it. Don't call it a sermon till you've preached it. You may, like you're, you're preparing a sermon and you're working on your sermon and you're praying and you're praying for the Holy Spirit to help you on Monday Right, but until it comes out of your, it's like a sermon as it's coming out of your mouth. He called it sermonic indeterminacy, which means you prepare and you pray and you pray and you prepare, but right, the the sermon happens in real time. Um, The spirit moves in real time. The spirit working in our lives um, is real time, right? We don't say, well, someday or tomorrow or yesterday, this, but the spirit is now. I even learned that there are preachers who will not allow their sermons to be videoed because they say, after I've done preached it, it's not a sermon anymore. You're watching past tense. That seems kind of strange, but yeah. Um, we demonstrate as a church that, that it's, not, it's, it's not our ministry so much as it is the Holy Spirit's ministry. And the Holy Spirit is free at any moment in my life and yours to serve as like the editor-in-chief of whatever moment you find yourself in. The church is his ministry. And so we've been talking about being at a time where we're like trying to put up our sails, right? Um, Sails don't move a boat. Sails catch the wind that moves the boat. So the church puts up our sails, the spirit moves, and that's kind of what this sermon today is all about. We've been doing this series on prayer in the early church, and we've seen that prayer and the work of the spirit seem to go hand in hand. We, we've been looking at how in key moments in the life of the early church, prayer is what was happening, and some of these most important future-shaping, history-making events you find the church devoted to prayer and the Holy Spirit working in real time. And so this morning, we're making our way up to Acts 13. Um, We've seen the church when someone's arrested pray um, for boldness. We've seen the church uh, when the the government said, shut up, don't talk anymore about Jesus. They said, okay, give us more boldness. Um, And then we saw last week Peter's in prison, and even though James had been killed, they prayed for Peter, and Peter was released uh, by an angel who opened the, let his his chains off, gates opened, let him home, even though the lady that opened the door didn't believe it was him. (laughs) Yeah. So this morning we're in Acts chapter 13, and we see this church devoted to prayer, to worship and we get introduced to fasting this morning um, and some they end up doing amazing things that that they would have never have likely have planned to do they were worshiping they were praying they were fasting and the spirit did something um, that just seems very counterintuitive um, and there's a lot here in this passage for us Creekside Um How we arrive at a worship service? Do we arrive surrendered and prayerful and open to the spirits moving? Um, Or do do we arrive, if you will, indeterminate as to what we believe the spirit can do, right? We don't arrive with any sort of preconceived idea that, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you this little box to work in um, and please don't bust out of my box right now. We're going to be in the first few verses of Acts chapter 13, but Acts chapter 13, um, there's really th- three big players in this passage. There's the church at Antioch, and then there's Barnabas, and there's Saul. Um, and I, you need to know about this church. This is an amazing, amazing church in Antioch. It's um, people who study missions will tell you that the future of the church and missions begins here in this church. Um, but you need to know about this church uh, before you know about the people. Um, you learn about this in chapter 11. Something very, very important about this church. It says in chapter 11, verse 19, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. So you remember Stephen was stoned to death and this persecution broke out against the church and people just scattered everywhere. So this is what it's talking about all the way over here in Chapter 11. Those who had been scattered by that persecution traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, you understand what a big deal this was. Antioch in those days was considered huge, about half a million people. You put about half a million people in a city in those days, is just massive. But when Antioch was built, there was a literal wall built in Antioch and on one side of the wall, the Syrians lived and on the other side of the wall, the Greeks lived and you did not mingle with those people. So it was a very divided city. But as the city grew, it began to be more and more and more diverse. And we even see that when the Christians went there, um, they started preaching to the Jews who were there. But then they started, the Lord's hand is moving, and they start preaching to this massive divided city until you have a church that's full of a diverse kind of people. But So make sure you understand, this isn't just a church that's diverse. This is a church started by people um, who were forced to leave their homes, who were forced to migrate, if you will, because of religious persecution, right? Not a lot different from the world we live in. Right, um, forced away because of religious persecution in um, this massive city and this church of different types of people. And um, so, so we, we see news of the church reaches Jerusalem and they send Barnabas up to Antioch. So the, the word's getting out that what God's doing in Antioch. And he says when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. And he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. It says Barnabas was a good man full of Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he found him, he brought Saul to Antioch. So you remember people were very, very suspicious of Saul because he had been arresting people and throwing them in jail for, for following Jesus but he had met Jesus on that road to Damascus, and Barnabas goes, the son of encouragement is what his name is, he finds Saul. He takes Saul to Antioch, and it says, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So you picture this, this, this big city, a diversity of a population, this church started by people who've migrated there More and more people are coming to Christ. And you have of all people, Barnabas and Saul are there making disciples. Can you imagine what the atmosphere must have been like there? And it says, how important is Antioch? The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. You wanna know where that came from? Right here, why people are ever called Christians. Little Christ, it may have even been a bit of a jab, if you will, these little Jesuses walking around. But there was no one like them. There was nothing like this group of people. In a city where everybody kept to themselves, here's this movement happening, this growing movement, filled with people who are very much unlike each other. As a matter of fact, if you were to skip forward, uh, we'll get there, we'll get there, sorry. During this time, some prophets came and said, hey guys, there's a famine coming. And so the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for their brothers and sisters living in Judea. So they take up this collection to send to Judea to help the people who are about to be going through this famine. And it says, and this they did, sending their gift to the elders down in Judea by Barnabas and Saul. So they send their two main teachers down to take this offering. And then if you flip ahead, we did chapter 12 a little last week. Um, If you flip ahead, it says at the end of chapter 12, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So they've taken the gift um, and they bring back a person, (laughs) John Mark. And then chapter 13, verse one says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So you see how this church is it's made up. There's people with different sort of gifts. There's prophets speaking prophetically, and there's teachers who are teaching. So there's preaching and teaching going on. There's And then you've got these people from all these different backgrounds. So everybody's coming at this with a little bit of something culturally different, but they're all there together. And it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, Not, well, it says the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So this church is gathering, they're worshiping, they're praying, they're fasting. And while they were doing that, in other words, it wasn't, okay, we're gonna worship, pray and fast, everybody go home and see if you can figure out what the Spirit says. No, it's like they're in the middle of the worship service and the Holy Spirit seems to have done something. I'm not sure how this worked <laughs> I, I I wonder were they were they fasting and praying about something specific what what like what was their topic? Did Barnabas and Saul hey say, "Hey, listen, we've got these pressing issues. We need to fast and pray about this. This needs to be." something we pray about, you just don't eat, whatever it is you need to do, we we need to get clarity on this, we don't know, we don't know if there was a specific focus to this, but we know that they were busy worshiping the Lord and pouring out their hearts to God when the Holy Spirit did something, and whether he, like, how does this work, like, are, is this diverse group of people so together, so united in worship that it's one of those things where a decision happens and everybody makes the same decision and they all go, how'd that happen? Well, the Holy Spirit did it. The Holy Spirit was so in charge of this that it literally says, the Holy Spirit said. Barnabas and Saul, who just returned from their first assignment, maybe they were praying about what do we do next, who's next, where's next, what's going what, to what. The Holy Spirit said, well... Barnabas and Saul, those are the two I want. And look what it says, set them apart for me. The Holy Spirit says for me, not just for the mission, but for me, for the work to which I have called them. I have a calling on their lives, and it's time to ignite the next step in their calling. In other words, the Holy Spirit has already done something. He's just kind of revealing what the next step in the what he's the calling is. Set them apart for me, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, apparently some more, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And... It's not overstating the case to say history has changed. Like this is, as far as we know, in the book of Acts, this is the, if, if, pardon the, just the basic description of this, this is as far as we know, the first intentional mission trip, if you will. <laughs> the church is sending out missionaries. They sent them down to Jerusalem, but now we're gonna see It says the two of them sent on their way again by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sees them off. You can imagine the church all there fasting and praying some more. They place their hands on them. They send them out in the spirit and they went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And if you've got any maps in your Bible, you can look at this up and you can see they go over to Cyprus and they go up and they're just traveling all the way up. Iconium, Lystra, Derby and they make this huge circle through Asia Minor, and they come all the way back, and that would be the rest of Acts. There's another trip after that where they revisit some of these same churches, but then the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going the way you thought you were going. I'm taking you over there, and they end up even on the second trip, like, going over Europe, Let's just think about that for a moment. Like, would we be sitting here if the Holy Spirit had not set them apart? And would the Holy Spirit have set them apart if not this church had not said, you know what we need to do? We need to fast and pray while we worship. Like, I don't want to be one of those people who says, you know, what if this didn't happen in history because we don't know what God would have done differently, but that's not for us to know. But this is just one of those things where missions, as we know, it started with the church fasting and praying. That's pretty amazing. Look at those little maps up in the back. Or just, just talk to Jeff Reedy on your way out the door. He'll talk to you all about all those countries over there and where they went to, like you know, Turkey and all that stuff. You know, just, He'll tell you all about that because he, he's good at that sort of thing. I don't want to get in too much detail, but maps up and stuff. But, but here's the amazing thing. Do you wonder if there were people saying, whoa, Holy Spirit? You do know that Barnabas and Saul are like our primary teachers here. Aren't there some lesser people you can send? Maybe some people who aren't quite as busy? (laughs) Right? There's some people that can like quit their jobs and go? I mean, we need Barnabas and Saul. They've been teaching here all this time. Why would you send them? Holy Spirit says I've called them. So it would be easy to say that, that the church in Antioch lost a couple of really important pastors, but it wasn't the case. They just got redeployed. <laughs> they got commissioned. They got called, and the Spirit sent them to somewhere else. You know, I started this morning talking about There's indicatives of what God does and there's imperatives of what God says. And it's just amazing to me that in this passage, the people are worshiping, the church is fasting, the church is praying, but the Holy Spirit has called. The Holy Spirit sets apart. The Holy Spirit speaks and makes this certain to everyone. The people lay hands on and send off, but it says they're actually sent on their way by the Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit's doing all the heavy lifting here, right? I was talking with Alan Bryant about this passage this week. He what do you? And he, he got, um, I loved something that he, he told me. He texted me this. He's um, talking about today's church. How's this gonna work? Like, I love this. They were worshiping and praying, right? It's not, okay, they, they worshiped, they fasted, they prayed, they heard a sermon, there was an invitation. Like, it just it just happened, right? Um, I, I remember when I was an associate pastor up in Virginia Beach, we realized that sometimes it was in the middle of a song that God just began to work in someone's heart. And so, There were Sundays when instead of like opening up for prayer at the end, we would just be like after a song. Before the next song, we would just say, hey, the elders are up front. If something that you've sung today has moved you, come on up and pray. So in the middle of just the worship time, there'd just be people up there praying. You're like, whoa, you can't do that. You have to wait till the end after the preacher gets done because that's when the stuff happens, right? And it's like, no. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is right in the middle of worship, right? And people just be... You're right, that's me. Um, so it's worship, prayer, fasting. I was talking with Alan Brian about this. I said, how does this work with the Holy Spirit? Um, he said, well, this is how it works. We talk, we pray, we discuss, we pray, we think, we fast, we pray, we discuss. We show some humility, openness, and then we pray and we fast. And we pray together and we pray individually. And the Holy Spirit brings us to where he wants us to do mission, local. That sounds real technical, doesn't it? You pray some, you talk some, you fast some, you worship some, you pray a little more, you talk some more, you pray some more, you discuss, and then you pray some more and you fast and you worship and you worship and the Spirit just brings people together and maybe we don't even know how that happened, but it was the Spirit, right? And here you have, I mean, I'm always interested um, at how many times the New Testament tells us to be like-minded, like-minded. Like-minded. and the Spirit isn't calling the church to some sort of like cookie-cutter uniformity. But somehow the Spirit brought these people from all of these different backgrounds, right? I mean, people from very, very different places, it's not enough to say they don't think the same. They don't even approach thinking the same way people from somewhere else might approach thinking. Um, I mean, I, I hate to make someone uncomfortable, but... That's why one of the most fun people you can ever have lunch with is Albert Cadilla. I mean, if you want to, I tell him this all the time. You are the best retired person I know. Nobody retires like someone from Jamaica retires. He knows how to retire. He's retired so good. He's good at he's good at retirement. Right? Just but he. I love listening to him tell stories. I love to listen to him talk about life because it's not just that he thinks differently. He approaches thinking differently from me. And, and, And the elders in this room will tell you, there were times in elder meetings when Albert would just, you know, we would just be laboring over something and he would just be with his little chuckle. Don't you think the Lord is going to provide like, this is the most obvious thing in the world. Like, oh yeah, the Lord's gonna provide. Thank you for that, Albert. Like, we'd totally forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> Just how does God do that? It's amazing. It's not because we're all exactly alike. It's because we all bring something to the table and the Holy Spirit works for it all today. And this was another text that Alan sent me, and this was very convicting. I do not see churches operating this way. We prayed together for five minutes Make a decision and go our way. We may make a proposal and say, okay, everybody go home and pray and then come back and we'll make a decision. And then he said something very humble. Um, Probably one person in the group did not pray a whole bunch and that may have been me. That's what he said. Um, (laughs) He said, ministering to the Lord and fasting seems to imply more than a casual or semi-casual prayer. Right. This isn't some casual affair going on here. Um, just start thinking. How do we do this? What if, what if on Wednesday night prayer times—that's every other week on Wednesday night we gather for prayer. What if we said on Wednesday night prayer days, that's a fasting day. You can skip lunch or skip dinner before you come or skip breakfast or just skip all your meals or. You know, I hate to take fasting out too far. Some people say, well, oh, I'm fasting from social media or I'm fasting from television. And I am I am perfectly fine with that. I'm just saying nobody ever died because they skipped television. Right, you, you die if you don't eat long enough. But nobody ever died because they didn't look at Facebook. <laughs> oh, somebody give me my social media, I might die. Right? That's, but I'm perfectly, perfectly happy with saying I just want to be so... Just like in tune with the spirits, doing, I don't want to look at anything else. Amen. Praise the Lord for that one. Um, what if we just said every week, hey, this coming Wednesday is prayer time? Um, and it, it was last Wednesday. I'm not saying this Wednesday is prayer time. But the next Wednesday is prayer time. What if you decided I'm going to fast in some way today? And I just want to show up in this prayer time with a sense of just expectancy that, that the spirit's going to work during a time of worship and prayer. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say that God was pleased to make worship and prayer and fasting like this launching pad, if you will, um, for missions as we know it. Um, and, and I'll just say this. Um, I think there's something in our hearts. I'll just say, excuse me, my rewind. There's something in my heart we talk about putting up our sails, like, and for the wind to blow. I think there's something in me that says, you know, Lord, if you can just give me one good gust, right, just, just get me going, you know, you're going that way, just, just blow real hard in those sails, get me going, and we'll take it from there. Right, but if you follow Paul on his missionary journeys, what do you say? Well, we thought we were going here and the spirit wouldn't let us. So it wasn't, this isn't the launching off of the spirit blows and the spirit says, you know, have fun storming the castle. I'll see you when you get back. The spirit is with them to what he has called them to. The spirit, listen, the spirit spoke Because the Spirit had called, the Spirit had set apart, and the Spirit sent them on their way. And the Spirit was in them and with them the whole time. This isn't just like, poof, I'll get you out in the ocean. (laughs) through blow and I'm tired. Yeah, no. And that's where we need to be thinking as a church. When we talk about putting up our sails, it can't just be, okay, just blow us in the right direction and we'll take care of it. It's like our sails stay up in worship and fasting and prayer. So why don't we pray about that right now? Would you join me in that? Lord, this is a called people that I stand before today. Um, This is a called people. You've you've called us to your son, Jesus Christ. You've called us to salvation. You've called us to yourself. And, And your word says that you work all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We are that called people and you're working everything to good for us and we love you because you first loved us, Lord. Um, we're called. Um, you've got something for us. Your spirit has something that he's setting us apart for. We're The most tragic thing in the world would be for us to enter into some sort of survival mode when you've called us to more. And so, Lord, I just pray that ourselves would be up and stay up. And, and Lord, if you call us to fasting, then we will will take that up. But we want to be a worshiping and praying people and a fasting people, and we want to be ready to let you determine things like who and where and when and how. But this is for all of us, Lord. This is for everybody sitting in this room. Speak to us and guide us, Holy Spirit. Bring us to a place of incredible unity. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Have a great week.